So here's why I love wood Buddhas. At uh, Austin Zen Center, we had a class and a group that went maybe a year and a half or two. And we had um, a book of quotes. And so there were maybe be like five people in the group and each of us would interpret a quote. And then halfway through, maybe after three quarters of a year, we'd just take one quote for an hour and we would all interpret it. And we would say ridiculous things, of course. And there'd be a wood boot on the, on the wall framed that would be looking at us and never change its expression, no matter how ridiculous we got, you know, with the things we were saying. And it was so stoic. It was just so wonderful. And this Buddha was is a giant statue, I guess, at the Rhode Island School of Design. Um, much older, it seems, than this one. This one's so animated. I, that one was, was a little more still. So anyway, welcome to Steps to Liberation, and we're all going to um, facilitate this, right? Every yes. one of us. Okay. So I'm going to share the screen. Oh, and next week, I'm going to use a different um, Zoom link. So go use the calendar so we don't interfere with the council meeting that goes right up till 7. Okay? Hey, Kim, I have a question. What is our yeah. format for this study for August? Oh, the format is that we're going to read um, this book, Steps we're to Liberation. Gonna we're just going to read. read and at any point, you can say, stop. I'm confused, or I figured okay. it out. Okay. okay, I just didn't know if we were going to do any writing or if this was strictly reading. No, okay. and, and we're going to continue with the book. If we don't finish it in our five sessions this month, we'll continue with it and then go back to the, um, the koan book after okay. that. So we'll continue with Peg. Okay. I don't know why. Uh, tell me if this works. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. Well, it cuts out most of the people. Well, then you have to go to gallery. I think I think I'm in gallery. And you click. You click on. Um, there's four little icons in the upper left where the people right. are. Yeah. And if you click on one, and you might have to make the window bigger, but I, I'm seeing um, 12 people. Oh, really? How do you see through 12 people? Um, you click on the little thing that looks like a grid of nine squares in the upper left corner. That's what I did, and I see only six people. Then you have yeah, to make your window, too. click, drag the bottom right corner, or one of the corners, the bottom corners. Okay, just bigger. And, and make it bigger, and then you'll get more people. Okay. Ah. Is everyone cool? Yeah, yeah, so how do we read then, Kim? Oh. Your book, your Kindle well, book? Well, because I'll go to the book, and we'll um, read it. Okay, so I... Um, so we'll be moving back and forth between the people. No, no, I'll, we'll just stick with the um, book. I can see both. I have two monitors, but 
and then oh. sometimes people will have a strip or something, but that's the and, best we can do. And if okay. you don't need to look at the book, there are two little lines all to the right of the book. You can just slide the book over to the left, and oh. then you'll have the, the grid back up again. You can see everybody if you don't need the text. I need the text. Okay, so we'll go in this order, our alphabetical order, which is uh, Barbara, no, Annie. So Annie, Annie, Barbara, who's C, D, Donna, F, G, H, uh, Kim, Christine, Nancy, Nelda, Sandra, Paul, no, Paul, Sandra. Oh, and Lori, we skipped. And then Lori and, Bar and Leon. Okay. So, you know, you just figure out who you're after. I'm after J, 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 Who am I after? Christine, Christine, I'm after Christine. Okay. So Annie, would you like to start? Or Christine. Yeah, Kim, you're before me. Okay, thank you. I'm after who then? Maybe me. Donna, okay. Yeah. It's a big jump. Okay. Annie, how to use this book? Oh, you're muted still. Okay, here we go. Now, yes? Yes, yes, perfect. Okay. Just as in the great ocean, there is but one taste, the taste of salt. So in this teaching and discipline, there is but one taste, the taste of liberation. Buddhism is found in just one place, in the people who engage in the practices the Buddha taught. Reading about Buddhism without practicing is like reading a recipe but never cooking the meal. While it may be interesting and educational to read about Buddhist practice, you won't experience the taste of liberation without practicing. This book is meant to be a practical introduction to the Buddha's most useful and accessible recipe for walking the path to, the, to liberation, the Eightfold Path. To support a personal engagement with each of the eight path factors, the book includes reflections and exercises for each factor. Taking the time to do these reflections and exercises is a way to deepen your connection with the Eightfold Path and to better apply it to your life. And I think Peg suggested that we uh, do the exercises during the week and then maybe we could have a little period before we start reading the next thing to talk about something we discovered. But if anyone has a better idea, I'm sure we can do that too. Let's see. Okay. Yeah, I think that sounds great. Um, it's my hope that the offerings in this book will encourage you to engage in the process of active reflection and contemplation of Buddhist teachings and your relationship to those teachings. There are a number of ways you might do this. 
you might think about where and when the teaching can, teachings can be useful to your life. In exploring your relationship to the teachings and practices, you might consider how well you understand them, how much enthusiasm you have for them, and the challenges and reservations you have about them. You might come up with the questions that bring new perspectives on the teachings. Uh, the value of this book as a basis of reflection on the teachings and their application to your life can be enhanced by reading it slowly, stopping regularly to consider what you have read. It can be useful to only read a few pages each day, <coughs> perhaps rereading a section a few times throughout the day. Reading slowly and repeatedly will give you time to think about the implications of the teachings perhaps with each reading, thinking of new applications and relevance in your life. Eightfold Path is a tremendous, oh, I'm sorry, it was Christine's time. And you're muted, yeah, okay, good. The Eightfold Path is a tremendous support for meditation practice. Practicing the path factors in daily life creates a supportive state of mind for engaging in meditation. Some of the factors are directly applicable to meditation practice. Reflecting on their connection to meditation and how to have them support one's meditation is a valuable exercise. As you read this book, you might regularly consider how what you learn can be applied to meditation. It can be very helpful to discuss your, your reflections with others. Having conversations about the teachings, the practices, and your findings is one way to develop new understandings about them. Sometimes expressing your ideas out loud provides an opportunity to develop your understanding further. Hearing others discuss their understanding and application of the teachings can open new perspectives and provide inspiration. It can also be useful to have a practice journal in which you write down notes about your experiences practicing with each factor of the Eightfold Path. Sometimes keeping a journal and rereading your entries, you can better discover how your practice changes and develops over time. It may be possible to notice patterns in how you engage in the practice. For example, you might notice the most common perspectives and concerns you have, or perhaps what you tend to ignore or leave out. One of the ways to read this book is to explore each of the factors of the Eightfold Path is to spend one month studying and practicing each factor. Including, included in the book are four sets of reflections and practices for each path factor. I recommend spending one week doing each each set of exercises before moving on to the next path factor. Also, during each month, try to read or listen to what a variety of Buddhist teachers have said about the factor you're studying. In addition to this book, you might also read Bhikkhu uh, Bodhi's The Noble Eightfold Path and Bhante Gunaratana's Eight Mindful Steps to Happiness. You can also listen to the talks I've given on the Eightfold Path Factors available on audiodharma.org 
under series talks. Having the Eightfold Path mature within you is one of the great joys of Buddhist practice. It brings confidence, strength, ease, freedom, and so much more. I hope this little book helps you along the path. The Buddha's Eightfold Path, it is as if a person traveling in the forest were to see an ancient path, an ancient road, traveled by people of former times. Following it, the person would see an ancient city, an ancient capital inhabited by people of former times, complete with parks, groves, and ponds, valid, delightful. Then going to the ruler of the country, the person would say, Your Majesty, while traveling in the forest, I saw an ancient path. I followed it and found an ancient city, an ancient abandoned capital. Your Majesty, restore the city. In the same way, I saw an ancient path, an ancient road traveled by the awakened ones of former times. And what is that ancient path, that ancient road traveled by the awakened ones of former times? It is the noble eightfold path, right view, right aspiration, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. That is the ancient path, the ancient road leading to direct knowledge. The Buddha so and this is this is, this is something that Peg has been talking about, is that it's the path of the noble ones as opposed to um, a prescription for what you should do. So I don't know quite how we deal with that because we're not noble ones, maybe, or maybe we are. But, um, okay. It's a different view of it, anyway. Was I right to turn the page? Yes. And who read? I just finished, Stephanie. Okay. Oh, so is it me again? Yes. Yeah. Okay. The Buddhist teaching describe an accessible path to liberation. The ancient Buddhist metaphor of a path draws on the idea of a cleared passageway that allows one to move through an otherwise impassable forest. Just as we bring our entire body along when walking on a path in the forest, so a practitioner enters the Buddhist path by engaging all aspects of who he or she is. Yet there's an important difference between a physical path and, and the one described in the Buddhist literature. A physical path exists whether we walk on it or not, but the Buddhist path, Buddhist path exists only in our engagement with it. We create the path with the activities of our minds, hearts, and bodies. All teachings about the Eightfold Path are simply instruction indicating how we create the path as we go. In the version of this metaphor quoted at the beginning of this chapter, the Buddha likens spiritual liberation to a long forgotten overgrown city deep in the forest. Just as it is, poss just as it is possible to reclaim and then inhabit this city once the path to it is found, it is possible to live a liberated life when we have found and walked the path that will lead us to it. 
Building on, on this metaphor of a forest path, the forest's dense undergrowth is like the many mental and emotional obstacles that limit our freedom. As human beings, we have our own inner wilderness with its dangers and challenges, but we also have with, within us what it takes to be free of these dangers. Because both the path and the obstacles to our freedom are found inside us, the Buddhist path requires us to take responsibility for our thoughts, attitudes, and actions. <clears throat> it builds on the principle that we can move toward liberation by disengaging from perspectives and behaviors that weigh us down and replacing them with behaviors that lighten us and support us as we proceed. I don't know if you know this, but when you see the dotted lines, that means a lot of people who read this book underlined this section. Mm -hmm. Oh. <laughs> the Buddhist path to liberation, known as the Eightfold Path, is made up of eight interrelated practices. The ancient Indian names for these practices are each prefaced by Sama, a Buddhist word usually translated as right or wise, but which, next page, but which can also mean proper, complete, and in harmony. When right is used as the translation, it's useful to think of it as meaning appropriate, as when we speak of having the right tool for a particular task. Because the path is made up of practices rather than beliefs, right does not refer to truths that we're obligated to adopt. It also does not involve moralistic judgments of right and wrong. I prefer to think of Sama as meaning helpful. The eight right practices of the Eightfold Path are perspectives and practices that help us attain the inner liberation Buddhism teaches as real possibilities for each of us. The first step on the eightfold path is right view, a pragmatic perspective that guides us to the path itself. We can make an analogy with hiking. Hikers in uncharted wilderness may pay careful attention to specific details of their surroundings in order to find their way. They may first have some idea where they're going so they don't wander aimlessly and end up lost. But even when the destination is clear, taking the most direct route may not be possible if it entails plunging into the densest overgrown parts of the forest or over the steepest cliffs. By knowing what to pay attention to, a hiker can read the wilderness and discover clues for, next page. Thank you. What is the best way forward? Similarly, the eight factors of, of the Eightfold Path are both the clues for finding the path out of the wilderness of suffering, as well as the path itself. It is a path to liberation. Do you think liberation is, there's more, do you, is there more to it than just ending suffering? I mean, not that we have to answer that, but I'm just curious about that. Any ideas? 
think a lot goes along with it. Uh, what it goes along with it? You mean? You no, know, there's a, there's a lot that goes along with it. In order to get liberation. Yeah. I think. Okay. Who's yeah, next? Go yeah, on. But it, yeah, but it's more than liberation because it's going out from the the will of getting born and die, getting born and die. Uh, that is the, the, the main thing. Okay, who's next? I think it's me. Okay. For the Buddhist path, the fundamental orienting perspective called right view is being guided by the perspective known as the Four Noble Truths. Rather than getting caught up in opinions and abstract interpretations about what we're experiencing, in this approach, we learn to first recognize any stress, discomfort, or suffering resulting from how we're relating to what's happening or not happening, the First Noble Truth. We then orient ourselves to notice our contribution to this suffering by discovering the ways we are caught in cravings and clinging, the second noble truth. And then we keep our sights and confidence on the possibility of bringing clinging and its resulting suffering to an end, the third noble truth. The final guidepost provided by the four noble truths is the eightfold path, the fourth noble truth. Eightfold path is the easiest and clearest road to this liberation from suffering. Right view is not meant to be the only perspective with which to view our life. Other perspectives are necessary for other purposes. For example, understanding cultural diversity provides important viewpoints for living in a diverse society. Knowing what is expected at work is an important perspective to keep in mind. Taking into account that developmental stages of children is important for parents. In order to walk the Buddhist path to freedom, right view is an essential ingredient. It is the perspective needed to find the path in the first place. It points us to what we are doing when we suffer and to how to stop doing this. Part of the value of this perspective is its uh, pragmatic simplicity. It does not rely on any supernatural or mystical beliefs. We're not asked to believe or depend on something we can't know directly for ourselves in ourselves. The remaining practices of the Eightfold Path are right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. These seven have a mutually supportive relationship with right view. On the one hand, right view helps us distinguish between the intentions, speech, ethical actions, livelihoods, and mental efforts that cause suffering and the ones that alleviate it. On the other hand, as we practice the other factors of the Eightfold Path, it becomes easier and more effective to practice right view. The more the path is cleared, the easier it is to find it. On this one, right view really challenging because it's not something you do, it's something more, 
more uh, in your mind, I guess. Do other people find it challenging? Like today I'm going to have right view that seems a little difficult, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. yeah. It's not something you do, it's something you have like being ethical. And it translates into action, but it's something you already possess within. I guess, yeah. Which is, <laughs> connects to the idea that this is how the noble ones are. Okay, who's next? Me. The potential for practicing the eightfold path lies within us. When we practice the factors well, they transform us. They have the ability to reduce and even end all clinging, attachment, fear, hatred, delusion. When this is done thoroughly, the eightfold path is not something we make effort to do. When we are free, there is nowhere we can we have to go to find freedom. Amazingly, when we live with this freedom, the eightfold factors are no longer practices. They become the natural expression of liberation. The eightfold path becomes who we are. Chapter three, a life of mutual benefit. A wise person is motivated to benefit oneself, others, and both self and others the Buddha. Some people live their lives focused primarily on benefiting themselves and those they feel closest to. Others are devoted to benefiting others, sometimes at the expense of themselves. For the Buddha, a wise person is someone who wishes for the good of everyone, oneself included. Our lives are so interconnected that it is not possible to truly benefit oneself while harming others. Intentionally harming others always takes a toll on the heart of the person who harms. And we can't be of much benefit to others if we neglect ourselves. The Buddhist path of liberation doesn't neglect either the self or others. It's a path that lies at the intersection of ourselves and the world. The Eightfold Path balances caring for ourselves and others. Each path practice clearly benefits us when we practice them. They help us attain greater ease, integrity, wisdom, and freedom. At the same time, four of the path factors are practices that also bring benefit to other people. For instance, included in the second factor, right intention, is to live motivated by goodwill and compassion for others. The next three factors, right speech, right action, and right livelihood, are all concerned with being in the world in such a way that our speech, actions, and livelihood have a helpful, useful, positive impact on others. Okay. Anne? Yes, hi, sorry, hi. I think I was unmuted. Am I next? Yes, what, well, you're, you're actually before Annie. Um, I, so can someone tell what page, because mine doesn't show that. Page 12. Oh, okay. Or the second paragraph, or oh, the, okay. the full paragraph. Okay, thank you. Appreciate that. In the practice of right speech, the Buddha encouraged people to speak in ways that are truthful, reliable, and trustworthy, choosing speech that reunites those who are divided 
promotes friendship and speaks words that promote concord. He also encouraged speaking about what is good and beneficial. Right action is defined as not killing, not taking what is not given, and not engaging in sexual misconduct. While doing these three things alone provides others with the gift of safety, the Buddha went further by saying that in living a life that doesn't cause harm, practice, practitioners should, quote, abide compassionate uh, to all living beings, end quote. You know, I think my jumping in through everything off a little bit, because I think Annie was next. Annie, yeah. I read though, so I didn't miss oh. anything. I just didn't realize okay. you were there. So I just popped. Okay. I said, yeah, I just popped in. Sorry. It's okay. For many people, it's through their livelihood that they have the greatest impact on the wider world. The practice of right livelihood encourages us to be thoroughly ethical in our work and in life pursuits. Exploiting or harming others through our work is antithetical to right livelihood. While right livelihood, right speech, right action, and right livelihood, while right intention, right speech, right livelihood, right action, and right livelihood <laughs> are practices that have a positive impact on others, we ourselves also benefit when we practice them. One of the great sources of well-being and peace is a clean conscience. Our own ethical integrity can become a meaningful refuge for us. So another problem I've always had with these is that our, our intention can be 100% that it's right, but it might actually benefit some and not benefit others. Like if you don't sell guns, you're going to starve the people who manufacture guns. So it's not, maybe that's a bad example, but it's not 100% win. So, right? Ake always says, if you think you can get out of this world without doing harm, you're a little naive. Oh, who said that? Egg. Oh, okay. A little are naive or a lot? Said you're, you're naive. <laughs> yeah, okay. That, that question, Kim, that you posed does make me think how this is supposed to, like, uh, end suffering. We're uh, able to find uh, the end of suffering. And so it doesn't seem like you could if... It's not 100%, like you just said, 100%, everyone's going to be well. So it does make me think, how, how can it end suffering if you're going to end up with somebody starving because they're not selling guns anymore? Okay, well, maybe we'll come to that. <laughs> okay, who's next? Christine, I am. Oh, I think I am. Okay. Am I unmuted? Yes. The last three factors of the Eightfold Path, right effort, right mindfulness, and, next page, right concentration, are usually understood as emphasizing care for oneself. All three factors focus on improving the quality of our minds and hearts. 
Right effort involves learning to do those things that increase our wholesome states of mind. Right mindfulness gives us the presence of mind to differentiate between what is wholesome and unwholesome. Right concentration brings calm, ease, and peace. Personal benefits that come from the last three factors of the Eightfold Path can also benefit others because personal well-being is the wellspring for caring for others. As mindfulness and concentration help us be more settled and happy, we have increased motivation to care about others. With increased mindfulness and concentration come increased empathy and appreciation of others. Some people, however, may feel that any emphasis on benefiting ourselves is selfish. This could be the case if the effort of self-benefit is a myopic concern for one's own desires at the exclusion of others. However, such selfishness harms the person who is selfish. If we understand what brings and supports personal well-being, we will avoid being selfish. Furthermore, we will not pursue our own well-being at the expense of others. In Buddhism, benefiting ourselves does not equate to acquiring natural status or wealth. It entails developing beautiful and wholesome qualities of heart. It is cultivating the kind of inner goodness and peace that help make how we are in the world as helpful for others as what we do. For similar reasons, we would not, not want to let me start over. For similar reasons, we would not want to engage in activities that benefit others if doing so proved harmful to ourselves in any significant way. How can we really touch the, hearts, the heart of others if our own heart is not well taken care of? A person focused on mutual benefit does not view life as a competition that only some people can win. Rather, in this approach, one considers what is best for the greater good. What the, what the Buddha referred to in the quote above as benefiting both self and others. This is not a greater good that sacrifices the welfare of some for the welfare of the majority. This greater good is inclusive using creative thinking that looks for many ways to improve the lives of all. Even though we may speak of certain factors as having particular benefit for oneself, on a deep level, there is a little distinction between caring for ourselves and caring for others. When we benefit others, we are helping in return, no less because our actions strengthen wholesome qualities in ourselves. When we benefit ourselves through developing our integrity, our hearts, and our wisdom, we will inevitably have a positive impact on the people we come in contact with. Conversely, if we intentionally cause harm to others, we will sooner or later discover how this behavior, behavior also harms ourselves because of the pain that comes with such intention. Others may retaliate and over time, no one can escape his or her own conscience. In practice, a life of mutual benefit does not mean that everything we do has to benefit everyone. 
If we think of it like that, we can tie ourselves in knots, feeling so overwhelmed, we may either do nothing or do too much to be effective. The concept of mutual benefit means that when we care for ourselves in healthy ways, we can be reassured that this is for the greater good. When we care for others in healthy ways, it benefits us as well. At different times in different situations, as we act on different ends of the self-other spectrum, if we see these actions through the perspective or practices of the Eightfold Path, we are working for the greater good of all. And may I ask you something? Stephanie, would you mind to read the, the other page? I, I have a question. You ready to go back? Yes, the, those two lines. In practice, a life of mutual benefit does not mean that everything we do has to benefit everyone. Okay. Yeah, okay, that's what he's talking about, the tie of cells in knots, when we mm -hmm. try to do that. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. At but that doesn't necessarily mean that it would hurt some people, right? No, that's why I was curious, because when they say all cells in knots, is that it will really try to benefit everyone, and that's what he said. Um, at times, it is appropriate and even important to focus on caring for ourselves. Meditating every morning may be immensely helpful for the meditator. It can be as important as a form of self-care as making sure we eat well, get enough sleep, and keep our body healthy. At the same time, daily meditation may prepare us to care for others in calmer, wiser, and more compassionate ways. At other times, it is appropriate to care for others. Their needs may be greater than our own. On a particular day, we may have to skip our meditation session to tend to someone who needs our time or attention. One task of mindfulness practice, however, is to help us care for others without giving in to attitudes and reactions that undermine us, such as anxiety, stress, and over-involvement. It is through careful attention that we learn how to benefit others without harming ourselves. To understand Buddhist practice as a life of mutual benefit is to clearly place our practice within the context of our social life. Even if we spend long periods of time in mostly solitary practice, there is always a social dimension to our practice. We don't walk the path of liberation for ourselves only. Quite simply, by benefiting others, we help ourselves. And by benefiting ourselves, we serve and support others. We practice for the sake of all beings. Chapter four, first factor, right view. People threatened by fear go to many refuges, mountains, forests, parks, trees, and shrines. None of these is a secure refuge. None is a supreme refuge. Not by going to such a refuge is one released from all suffering. But when someone going for refuge to the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha sees with right insight the Four Noble Truths, 
suffering, the arising of suffering, the overcoming of suffering, and the eightfold path leading to the end of, ending of suffering. And this is the secure refuge. This is the supreme refuge. By going to such a refuge, one is released from all suffering. The Buddha Dhammapada. That's kind of interesting because in our chant, it's, we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And, and here it's taking refuge in the Four Noble Truths. A little, a little different. Actually, it doesn't. It says, it says when someone going for refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha sees <laughs> the Four Noble Truths, not saying going for refuge in them, is it? Oh, you're right. Thank you. Okay. Who's next? You are. This, behind almost everything we do, say, and think are views, some conscious and many not so conscious. Our views are the orientations, perspectives, and beliefs with which we understand ourselves and our world. They are the basis on which we choose how to live our lives. Often our core views are so embedded and habitual that they are not seen. And if they are known, it is not as views, but rather as the way things truly are. Not all our views serve us. Many of the views, opinions, beliefs, and stories we live by are the basis for our suffering. To counter this, the Eightfold Path begins with right view. This is a perspective or frame of reference that provides a simple, straightforward understanding of how to bring suffering to an end. Part of the great value of right view is the direct and pragmatic way it shows the path to inner freedom. It points us to our direct experience, which is an important alternative to basing our life on what we cannot know for ourselves. Buddhism emphasizes two forms of right view. One is the standpoint that what we do, say, and think doesn't exist in a vacuum. Rather, these have physical and psychological consequences that are related to their ethical nature. If they are based on greed and hate, the consequences will be harmful. If they are based on generosity and kindness, the consequences will be beneficial. Whether or not this is borne out 100% of the time, I think it is certainly true that if we live by this view, we are more likely to think, speak, and act in ways that bring us and others greater well-being. The second kind of right view is the perspective of the Four Noble Truths. These are four useful perspectives for freedom and happiness. If we want to suffer less, it helps to notice when we are suffering, the first noble truth. It's all too easy to be distracted from suffering by other preoccupations. These distractions don't get rid of suffering, they just cover it over, like papering over cracks in a wall. It's also to discover the attachments that create the suffering, second truth, so that we can let go of them. The under 
understanding that it is possible to let go of these attachments fully and thereby end suffering. The third gives direction and encouragement that we can do so. Knowing a way to create the appropriate conditions for freeing ourselves from our clinging. The fourth orients us to the practices that can help, namely the Eightfold Path. Integral to the Four Noble Truths is the idea that if we want to become free of suffering, it is helpful to notice that what causes our suffering. If we want to overcome suffering but don't know where to look for its cause, we might perceive beliefs, practices, and external remedies that have nothing to do with the problem. The Four Noble Truths direct us to find the cause within ourselves. While conventionally and sometimes appropriate, we may say that someone or some event in the world causes our suffering. The Buddhist path to liberation begins when we start to take responsibility for what our inner psychological contribution is to the suffering. In particular, the Four Noble Truths point to the role of compulsive desires and cravings in giving birth to our inner suffering. The Eightfold Path begins with right view because this is the view that puts us on the Buddhist, uh, Buddhist path to liberation. If we want to find the path, right view teaches us that it makes sense to take responsibility for our actions and that if we want to be free of suffering, we can view our actions and experience through the perspective of the Four Noble Truths. Right view also guides us and safeguards us in practicing the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path. It guides us by keeping the purpose of the Eightfold Path in mind, namely liberation from suffering. It safeguards us when it reveals any suffering and attachment that may come from the way we practice the other path factors. When we become aware of them, we have the opportunity to let go of these attachments and find a more useful approach to practicing. Using the Four Noble Truths are the view of understanding our life is a law about practicing with ease. By ease, I meant, I meant a felt sense of well-being and inner freedom. The more at ease we become, the simpler it is to notice suffering. It causes its cessation and the path of to its cessation. The more we use the Four Noble Truths to overcome attachment, the more we live at ease. When people mature on the Buddhist path, the ease they experience becomes strong enough to naturally highlight the Four Noble Truths in their lives. An analogy is a white cloth. The cleaner the cloth becomes, the more obvious the new stain is. For this reason, there is a long tradition of understanding the Buddhist phrase, I have no idea how to pronounce that, not as the Four Noble Truths, but rather as the Four Truths of the Noble Ones. The grammar of the phrase allows for both meanings. For those who use the truth as a wise view to live and practice, the four can be called the noble truths. For those who have experienced the peace of walking the path, they become a natural view to live by, and so become the truths of the noble ones. 
Either way, practicing right view leads to the most profound and meaningful peace. Um, were you guys thinking, was uh, uh, thinking just reading through the reflections and practices or? Let's um, read it and then, then I thought maybe we could decide, we could do breakout rooms, we could discuss, we could go on with the book. But, you know, one possibility is we just try to do right view this week. With all four reflections and practices? Yeah. There's four. <clears throat> okay. Well, yeah. um, yes. Um, for the people who don't have books, I wonder uh, how we could do that so that we have the material to work with during the week. Well, I could send it out to the people here. That'd be great if you wouldn't mind doing that. But um, before you leave, I have to write down your names. Okay. Oh, okay. So um, reflection. But wait, we're gonna do do do. Well, we're just gonna talk about. Them. Okay. Let's read read yeah. the, this part, and then okay. and then let's decide what we. I mean, what does it make do? sense to people that we just do one of these um, well, a week? A week. Well, if we did one a week, then we wouldn't get through the. I mean, I mean we do right view this week. Before. For example. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. Oh, no, yeah. Um, reflections and practices for right view. Week one, inventory of views. Spend a week noticing the primary views, orientations, or beliefs you live by. It could be useful to consider what, if any, deep unnoticed views may underlie the most more obvious ones. What role do views have in your life? What is your relationship to them? Which views do you have that are not beneficial for you? Which views are beneficial? What views do you most want to use to guide your life? Do you tend to operate on views you prefer not to base your life on? As you consider these questions, it can be useful to write them down in a journal and then go back to reread and reconsider what you wrote. Behind many views is some desire that motivates you to have a view. You might reflect on what these desires are. Are the desires and wishes that motivate you, that motivate your views helpful or not? Week two keeping ease in view. For this exercise, it may be useful to understand the difference between ease and relaxation. Relaxation has more to do with the lessening of tension and stress. It is felt in contrast to tension. Ease has more to do with an inner peace and harmony that exists without any reference to tension. It is felt more as something that exists in and of itself. Relaxation is a relief. Ease is a state of being. This exercise asks you to notice the times you have some sense of ease. Notice the small moments of ease that appear briefly throughout your day, perhaps even during stressful occasions. 
If you know how to bring more ease into your life during this week, do so whenever extent, do so to whatever extent possible. What, you, what do you learn from this focus on ease? What does it highlight about your lack of ease? Uh, the week three, reflecting on liberation. The Buddhist right view is not a cosmic imperative to believe some truth. <coughs> Rather, it is a down-to-earth perspective that supports the goal of liberation from suffering, often called aw awakening. What range of beliefs might you have about liberation or awakening? Which of these beliefs support practicing on the path to liberation? Which undermine the practice? How important is the possibility of reducing and ending suffering for you? Are you motivated by other goals that may interfere with focusing on the path to overcoming suffering? What ordinary or small experiences of liberation from suffering do you have in your daily life? What role can these have in supporting your practice? Please spend a week reflecting repeatedly on these questions. If possible, have a conversation with a friend about them. Questions about right view. Uh, then during the week, Formulate as many questions as you can about the right view factor of the Eightfold Path. These can be questions about the traditional teachings and questions about yourself in relationship to right view. After a week of daily reflection of questions, write down the three questions that are most compelling for you. Then share and discuss your questions with someone else. Okay, how about if everyone put their email address in the chat and I will make a PDF of the, the reflections and do that. And would it make sense then when we meet next time to start out with these questions, maybe do breakout rooms and then, and then start reading again? What do you want to for us to practice these questions this week and just come back next, or just practicing here next week? Uh, practice during the week. Does that make sense? Yes. People? Yeah. You mean the four weeks, no? To practice no. the four? Well, we're going to do four. We're, I think we can do, let's try to do all four mm -hmm. this week. Okay. Sounds good. And then next week we'll go to right intention mm -hmm. but it seems too much to go on doesn't it yeah yes <laughs> maybe we have time to start now to start reflecting yeah we yeah. have 30 minutes okay so how would you how how uh the week one we could you, journal for we could journal for 15 minutes maybe on the week one thing and then talk for 15 minutes. Well, now we only have 28 minutes left. We could journal for 14 minutes and then... 14? 
Well, just saying, because it's just 28 minutes now until 8.30. I don't know. I have just one idea. Any other ideas? I like the idea to journal now with okay. one. I think less time than 15 minutes. I think 10 minutes is enough. 10 minutes. Okay. Should we just do a week this journal about this first thing, the inventory of views, because I could yeah. leave that up. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay. But would you put your, your email address in chat? I, yeah, I don't need the PDF, but I'm not going to, so I won't put mine in. Oh. Thank you. Okay. If you need the PDF, yeah, put it in. Um, I put this in an order because I feel that so much of our lives is impacted by our orientation or our experience early on of life and how, you know, we respond to that and that our views and beliefs come from um, that orientation, um, almost like the orientation or the circumstances in which we develop. And then, you know, views and beliefs come from that. And, you know, our orientation is what it is. Um, and views and beliefs are things that can change. And so, you know, all of this leading to what my own are. So the, the notion that this would take a week to look at, that makes sense to me, because just thinking about it and thinking about how, um, how it comes in pieces first and then uh, as a more, it, it hasn't self-organized yet in my head. So I, I had just gotten to that place of thinking about view and belief, one as more changeable and the other one is more passionate you can have in my and again this is just my first shot at thinking about this but that our views are easier for us to change than our beliefs that's my my nickel okay and next is uh barbara uh, yeah i didn't <clears throat> i interpreted it as, as values and uh, values that that um, that really speak to how I live each day you know what are the guiding principles of what I do each day and each month and you know just how I live my life and has that changed over time? Uh, so I, I, I was looking at trying to identify things that didn't change over time that seemed to be really animating principles by which I live and have lived for a good while or that I aspire to live to. to. And some interesting things came up there, you know, some of them, you know, are some of them are both beneficial and unbeneficial because they're almost too um, central to my very being, you know. Uh, things like um, um, keeping my word uh, can be a good thing or a bad thing, <laughs> you know, 
you know, and, and that, that can be a razor's edge, you know. Uh, another one that, you know, I really, really value structure and rituals and routines. And that really, you know, gives me a kind of container. But within that, I'm just, um, I tend to be quite unpredictable. And, and my spontaneity gets me in a lot of trouble. And I got digging into that. And I think it may be for attention or, you know, I'm, you know, this is really kind of an interesting thing. But like Anne, I just, I was just like, hmm, I don't know what all these words mean. So I'll just go, I'll just make up my own definition. <laughs> and see, that's, that's the okay. predictable. Donna. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, so I'm kind of left with a conundrum that on the one hand, you know, we're talking about right view in terms of the Noble Eightfold Path, but in Zen practice, part of, you know, what we're trying to do is to get rid of views. You know, we're trying to break down conceptual thinking and, you know, going in, you know, preconceived notions, all of that. So we are, um, you know, we're ultimately trying to see things as they are, unfiltered, without views. So um, it's like, um, you know, <laughs> conundrum. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my offering. I was surprised by how puzzled I was, just what are my views? And then I wrote down eight views. Life is good, people are crazy, my time is limited, I need to get it done, the end will come, life is precarious, learning and creating is being alive. So, uh, and then I read the other questions and I realized how um, they seem such basic questions to life, but yet I was very, I didn't know what the answers would be for me. Like, do you operate on views you prefer not to base your life on? And I thought that was a great question. And um, that's it. Very nice to have the bell. Okay, who is next? Kristen? Yeah, um, I think I felt tired and overwhelmed and um, feeling like, oh, I need to go back and, and read this and soak on it. But I was thinking like too, like this idea of views and um, I thought, oh, and I haven't done this yet. Like, this is all like, to me, it takes more thinking, but I thought, oh, well, you know, I have these views. I've been on this kind of contemplative spiritual path for many years. And so I have, you know, I've adapt adopted those views. Um, and I thought it would be interesting to write that down and like, look at kind of that second part of these questions is like, do you, do you have certain views that maybe you're not 
really living by that that you want to live by or you know how am I doing in that and also to me it's such a broad subject because there I to me there's views on all these different aspects of life and so I started kind of thinking about categories of like okay well what are my views in the category of money and right livelihood and partnerships and friendships oh, and you know, social justice issues and <laughs> um, having pets, you know, what do I eat? Like all these different categories. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't do this in 15 minutes. And I, I don't know if I could do this in a week. But um, also just that kind of thinking showed me like, oh yeah, there's, there's Christine and her perfectionism, you know, coming up. So but that seems helpful to do categories. Yeah. I, I yeah, I could do better with that, I think. Okay, uh who's next? Mm -hmm. Lori. You're you're muted. Your time's up. <laughs> <laughs> the natives are getting restless here in the room. Um so I I may be focused on something that's well, really up. Didn't get it because you turned your head. Oh, right. Can't move. Um, so I focused on one particular thing that's just kind of up for me right now. It's a kind of a core issue. And um, it's it's a, it was something that Annie was talking about that was formed early on in my life. And I still carry it around and um, learning more and more how to work with it. But it's a... It's a um, so I was writing about writing about that, and um, so yeah. Leon, yeah. I mean, I I felt the way a lot of people did that once I started unraveling it, it was endless, and so that kind of made me think that this is really like more of a cone for the week or for life where, and, and it's happened to me most usefully when all of a sudden I clear, I see something or I catch myself in a, with a view or with a thought and go, oh, is that's, that's my viewpoint. And then lately, like in the last six months, I've started thinking about, well, does that thought really help me or if, believing in that thought or view is that working for me? Is that a useful view to have? And so, yeah, and then I started picking up different views that I have. And then like other people, not really even knowing if that was a view, you know, like if I don't enjoy being around selfish people, is that a view or, or, or is it just the way I am? And that's probably such a deep belief. Anyway. Oh, that's all I got. Nancy, are you next? Yeah, so for me, um, mm, I think views are quite uh, important in my life because um, I make decisions based on my views a lot. And sometimes like, when my mind is not clear, I'm, I look at the things very, in a very negative way. 
and yeah so um, yeah um what is that's what i think so far i think i need more time to contemplate what is thank you Okay, who's next? I think I am Kim. Okay. So I started out by looking at, and thank you for the verbiage that someone used, view versus belief. Um, so I looked at a couple of views and asked myself why I believe those. Um, so one view I have is that the world is a good place. That's a belief. Another view I have is that I'm a good person, another belief. And then, and then, and that's where it went off tracks a little bit because I don't believe in such a thing as good people and bad people. So, so then that made me pause much as I do throughout my day now that I shelter at home. And, and I, I follow in my daily walking through life here at home, um, the internal family systems sort of approach of, of, of going deeper. And so I looked at that view. I, I, I'm, good. I'm a good person. And then that led to another belief or view. And that is, you know, since there's no one around except for my doggies, I'm pretty darn skillful all day long. <laughs> <laughs> so then as I sat with that, you know, my body said, oh, not so true. And then what came up was I realized that I had a deeper issue of comparing. Comparing to whom? There's no one else around here. I'm not interacting. So then I sat with that. And what, do, you, do you see how I do this? It's like, you know, not very linear all the time. And I thought, who are you comparing to? Who is that part of you who is doing the comparing? And why does that part of you feel the need to do that? And what is that part of you afraid of? And so that took me in this contemplation deeper. And the I'm comparing to the world, you know, because I'm in here and the whole world's out there. And... And so I went deeper and, and it, it touched on this view or belief of myself that I'm inadequate, that I'm not enough, not smart enough, not clever enough. And even though I don't believe in good or bad people, I'm not good enough. And um, so, yeah, that's going to be a week's long work just right there. So that's where I went, folks. Okay. Who's next? I think I'm next. Okay. Uh, to me, uh, right view, I think of it as perspective, just the perspective. And when I started to think about what I was going to write, uh, like many of you have expressed, it's just way too big of a area, subject area for me to, to, to try to begin writing on or reflecting on. So what I ended up doing is saying that um, right view for me right now in this exercise is about what, what I am 
what I'm thinking at this moment. And so what I was thinking is, oh no, I don't want to, I don't want to tell this group what it is that I'm writing because they're going to think I'm crazy. So I said, well, um, then at this moment, the right, my, the view that I have is that I want this group or the Sangha to accept my thoughts or to accept me really, to, to accept me. And so then I went down in the book and it said something about, uh, take a look at what's the desire that motivates this view. So I wrote that down and I said, well, the desire is I don't want to be judged negatively. I want to be validated and I want to be accepted and cared for and cared about. And this is the motivation beneath my view that I didn't want y'all to think how crazy I am and what I'm thinking. Um, uh, and then I started to think, well, most of the time when I have this view of wanted, wanting to be accepted or wanting to be validated about my thoughts, about views, um, really it's uh, insecurities that I have and wanting to be, um, I guess, acknowledged or affirmed or validated. Uh, and kind of, I started to drift off after, after that, just kind of, Kind of, kind of drifted away, but but I was able to think to myself that, well, there is some motivation underneath the layer of what I'm normally thinking all of the time about what my views are. So I think I kind of deceived myself because there's something underneath what my views are. Thank you. And Sandra? I thought I want to skip myself to <laughs> talk. Well, is that a view? I, That's a view. I know it's a view. <laughs> well, I was in the beginning. I was having a little trouble with view because views start crossing with beliefs, and I think they go together for me. And I um, and I was having all these um, views. What are my beneficial views, and what are not my beneficial views? So I discovered some things that are really surprised me in some way to put in a label now how those no beneficial views start affecting my life now so i really need to explore more of those so those are a new no new one but uh, it just starts showing up so that that's that's good for me to work in that um and the beneficial one that i have is the same that was a little more clear but uh, you know what Paul is talking about is like the views is like I have this view, suddenly it's another view, and there's another view, it's another view, it's filling up different kind of views. But when I start working with the no beneficial views, immediately start going deep ones that I'm very intrigued, looking forward to work with us now. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so I'll send out the week one, two, three, four, and to those people, and uh, see you all next week. And we're going to a different um, link, so go to the calendar, so we don't conflict with the, the council too.
So we are going to work this week for the, the four weeks? Yeah. Okay. Is that good with everyone? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, thank you. Be thank safe. You. See you. Thank you. you too. Thank Bye. you. Bye.